coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 4th of September, 2022, seeing ourselves as God sees us. It is important to get a good, accurate view of ourselves. We're concerned about a lot of things in our lives. We mentioned Don and having the surgery and mentioned my tumor. A lot of things can go after our attention. Uh, we might be concerned about how we're doing on the job and whether we're going to hold on to that job or not hold on to that job. Um, I know kids growing up and especially get to junior high, that's a terrible time because people start telling you everything that they see wrong with you and use it as a picking point. So you start to wonder, am I worthy? Am I acceptable? Uh, how do I rate? How do I fit in? And, and so all these questions sort of come at us and we're trying to find our way as we, we move through our lives. And part of the issue, I think, is because of where we go to get information about ourselves. And, and then what do we listen to and is it true or not is critical. And I'm, and I'm so thankful that when we come to get an accurate picture of who we are, that we go to the God who tells us like, like it is. He's the one who will give us the straight scoop. I was communicating with a person this week and talking about uh, the love of God and how he receives us. And, and I mentioned, and love is always wrapped up in truth. And uh, he wanted to correct me a little bit and say, yeah, well, a lot of people can not believe the truth, but God still loves them. I say, yes, but when he loves, he always loves in truth. So I'd like to develop a couple points, and you have them as arrow points there in your notes. Um, some points about the way I was. Or, and I put it that way so you could say it about you too, okay? The way I, I was. Actually, you can see that there was an outline that I was in the process of developing the way I was, the way I am, and the way I will be. So Lord willing, we will get to other points at a future date. So hang in with me because this one is pretty, pretty tough. The way it was begins with a couple passages, Genesis and first and Psalm 139. And we're not going to turn to those because I think you understand that God created uh, mankind, uh, man and woman in the garden. And that's the Genesis account. And then Psalm 139, David recounts that God was not only involved in the uh, process of making Adam and Eve, but he's been intimately involved in the process of making every person. 
since that time. Because the psalmist there says, you formed me in my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And the psalmist then acknowledged, King David acknowledged that God is involved in the process of forming each one of us. And we go back to the Genesis account and we know that the way that God made us, he created us in his own image. So he didn't start with junk. <laughs> he started with him as an image um, that we would be made in his image. So our first point here, and I could spend a long time on this, but I'm not going to, because I think you get it, but it's important to understand the rest of this message to begin with the fact that I owe my very existence to God who created me. That's essential to know. If we want to know what God has to say, we have to begin from the fact that God was, uh, is the one who created me. Now, that's not being braggadocious. God made me and didn't make you. No, that's not what we're saying. That God made each one of us, and each one of us owed our very existence to, to him. He made us in his image. Why is that important? It's because everything that he's going to say after that is predicated on this relationship between a God and his creation. And if we want to have a, an accurate picture of who we are, we have to know what he has to say about us. There's many, I'll grant you, who will go through their whole life and not give God another thought. Or if they give it a thought, it'll be in passing. And then they'll just, they've got too many other things on their plate. They just think about all those things until this life is over. I'm reminded of a man who has since passed away, but I was invited to do a, a memorial service for a person in the community. The pastor have to be, happened to be out of town uh, that this person was um, a member of and of uh, his church. And so he asked me if I would do the service. Well, I, I knew this individual and I said, if the family's okay with it, I'm okay. I'd be happy to stand in your stead. So it was over at the Presbyterian Church building, and we had the service. And, and I'd like to get down to the place of saying, you know, eternity's coming. This person has already made that life decision, and where they are, that's something the result of whatever decision they made. But you're still alive. Where are you? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have hope of heaven? This gentleman came up to me and he was almost literally shaking. And he said, I, I need to talk to you about this. I said, 
Boy, you know, that's like saying sick him to a dog, you know. Okay, I said, sure, I'd be, I would love to. And he says, well, I knew who he, who he was. And he says, um, can you come to where I work? And I said, sure. And so I went to where he worked uh, later that week, called him up, made sure I had, he was going to be there. I went there. And at that moment, something had changed because while he may have been under conviction during the time of the service, right now he had sort of pushed that aside. And I said, I'm here to talk to you about that thing you were concerned about. He says, well, you know, I, I'm sort of busy and maybe a later day. fact that we owe our existence to the Lord and that you'll see as we go through here we need to respond to him is critical it's critical for a proper understanding of who we are so I owe my very existence to God who created me by the way this man I don't know if he ever accepted the Lord he's since passed on I don't know um, so we have this moment to choose. So the Bible has other things to say about it. While we were created in God's image and we owe our very existence to God, something else is true. And we see it in Romans chapter three. Um, In Romans chapter 3, uh, uh, we didn't read this portion of Romans, but in Romans 3.12, we'll turn there, Romans 3.12, Paul, in writing to the church there at, at Rome, says these words in verses uh, And I've written the wrong passage here because it's Romans 5, 12 through 14. So in your notes, you need to change that to Romans 5. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and that in the context is Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted when there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sin was not according to the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who is to come. And so we see the second point, that while we were created in the image of God and owe our very existence to him, we also inherited a sin nature from that first man, Adam. He sinned, and we've got that, his nature. And that has consequences for us. And scripture tells us that's the case. Now you, you probably have met 
other people who said this, maybe you thought this yourself, that people are generally good. They're not bad. Um, they're not so self-centered. And my, my pointer is always to those children. You know, that new little newborn you bring home from the hospital. Mom and dad are sort of beaming. Let's hope it looks more like mom than dad. But anyway, the kid is, is now for the first time to go down for the night, put him in the crib there, lay him down. And about halfway through the night, the child awakes. And I've given you this story before, but it fits here. And the child laying there in the crib says to itself, you know, mom and dad have had a, a tough couple of days. And even though I'm, I'm hungry and my pants probably could use changing, I just won't bug them because after all, they've had such a hard time. said, no child ever. No, that child cries out, I need attention. You, I don't care if you're tired. I don't care. Come feed me. Come change me. All those kinds of things. We're driven by our own cares and concerns, aren't we? If it was just a matter of a child crying out in the middle of the night that may be not so bad, but scripture goes on to lay out a much darker picture. And I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read this passage and then give you the five uh, spot points from this passage. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus and he's talking about you were this way. He says, you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when God gives us an accurate picture of who we are, this is part of that picture. We have a term for how most people see themselves. We, it's, it's a term that has come about in our modern culture, and we, we may not claim it for ourselves, but we certainly understand when somebody says, oh, that picture was photoshopped. <laughs> and what do they mean was, oh, that picture, they got rid of some of those, you know, errant hairs that are flying away, or, or uh, some... Uh, discolorations on their skin, oh, make that a little prettier, you know. 
We know what it's like when a picture is photoshopped. What does God say in this passage? This is who we really are. When we are apart from Christ, having been created by God, but inheriting the sin nature of Adam, this is our true condition. And I want to give you these five points. They're right from this passage, but here they are. And I use the idea of I was this way because this is description of every unbeliever apart from Christ. That's make him an unbeliever. And this is an accurate description of who we are. And, I, and while I say that it's not a very pretty picture, it's an accurate picture. This is what he says. I was spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. Spiritually, when it came to a relationship with the God who made me, it says it was dead. It was dead. I was brought up in and bought into this world system. In other words, this is the culture I grew up in. It was something that is anti-God. And you know what? I bought into it. That's what he says. He says, and I followed, and you're not going to like this one, my father, the devil. And you go, wait, 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 not me, pastor, not me. Well, listen to what he says. He says, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, he says, I followed my father, the devil, and thus was also a son of disobedience. Well, disobedience to whom? If I was following my father, the devil, who was I being disobedient to? The one who made me. That's a one. He says, I lived according to what? The passions of my flesh. That's what he says. He says, we all lived according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And by nature then, this is not good. I was a child of wrath. What does he mean by that, as a child of wrath? By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, standing in relationship to God from a viewpoint of judgment. You go, oh, this is not a very pretty picture, Pastor. He says, no, it's not. I'll give you a couple other passages that um, I'll just pull from and you can look them up. I, I gave them to you the passages so that you can follow them up. But in Psalm 14, one through three, we have a reference to uh, what what uh, Tom was reading out of out of Romans. He says they have all turned aside; together they have all become corrupt. And there's not one that does good, no, not one. 
So there's no exclusion policy. All of us are included. We're all in the same boat. And you go, this is such a horrible picture. Why would God say this about us? Doesn't he love us? And he says, the answer is absolutely. Absolutely he loves us. That's why he tells us the truth. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't tell us the truth. Oh, it's going to be okay. You know, we'll all get into heaven. That's all right. Not the truth. In fact, John 3, we have the story of Jesus and Nicodemus, and we're real familiar with, you must be born again, and, and John 3, 16. But in verse 17 through 20, it says the. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. And so we have the next point, and the next point is this. I stood guilty before God. I stood guilty condemned already. Then the passage that Tom read for us, I won't revisit other than that right at the conclusion of this statement in Romans 3, he says this, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And so the next point is, I have no defense. He stops the mouth of all those who would protest God's conclusion about who they are. And you go, Pastor, um, this is pretty bad stuff, precisely. because it's leading somewhere. So I invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and following. I wish that we could sit and commiserate over this, but Revelation 20, we see a, a record of the defeat of Satan, and then we have what is known as the great white throne judgment, and this is for all those who have gone through life. And these things that we have spoken are true about them, and yet they never put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, and they stand guilty before God, and it's time for judgment. Listen to this in verse 11. And then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it, 
and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the great, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books, according to what they have done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anybody's name was not written, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now some have said, well, and then we're just consumed and it's over. That's not what scripture says, though, because you back up to the verse just before this section. He says, the devil who had deceived him was thrown into the lake of fire same place where these unbelievers are going to be thrown. Fire of so fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented, tormented day and night forever and ever. So it isn't the fire that consumes, it is the fire that burns. And so we come to the final point of an accurate picture of who I am apart from Christ. He says, I was awaiting the final punishment in the lake of fire. So let's look at these points. He says, my very existence I owe to God who created me, but I inherited a sin nature from Adam. That sin nature means that I stand guilty before God and I have no defense and I'm only awaiting the final punishment being put into the lake of fire. Why such a dark picture? I don't want you to think of it as a dark picture. I want you to think of it as an accurate picture. God is not hesitant to tell it like it is. This is the truth. This is the way it is. But you know, I, it grieved my heart to stop there. Because many of the passages that, even as we referenced here, go on to give a message of hope. And I sort of cut them off and just talked about the despair part. But I'll give you one verse because I couldn't leave it there. John 5, 22 and 20 through 24. We find out who is sitting on the white, great white throne. Who's, the, who's going to be our judge? Because Jesus tells us himself, John 5, 22 through 24. Listen to these words. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly I say to you, 
And here's the good stuff. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You know, that's so good. I'm going to read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly, amen and amen to this. Amar in a Baptist church. How about a praise the Lord? Anyway. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So you know where the next part of this message is going, don't you? The explanation and the expansion of the truth of what it's like to live forgiven. What it's like to be a child of God. What it's like and an accurate description for those things. But I wanted to paint it up a pretty black picture here. Not because I love the idea of it, but I wanted to tell you the truth. I wanted to tell you the truth because what it does is it makes the good news good news. We talk about the gospel being good news. The reason it's good news is because the bad news is bad. So, we're coming in a moment or two to the Lord's table. And the Lord's table, some broken unleavened bread, some fruit of the vine, some grape juice, representing Jesus Christ's body broken for us and his blood shed for us. And what does it do? It points us to the good news. Why did Jesus Christ die? Because we were facing judgment and he took it upon himself for us. And in the place of judgment, which he took upon himself, he gives life to us. So why do we come to the Lord's table? He says, often as you do it, you show the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. One day we're going to be in his presence. Oh, that's the third message, by the way. Okay, but what we're focusing on here when we come to the Lord's table is the fact that Everything that I just shared with you, as dark as it was, and as hopeless a situation as it, as it states, doesn't have to be our end. But by grace, through faith, we can have life and the judgment that we should receive poured out on the Savior. And that's why we call him Savior. For he saves us. So we gave a few moments before we share these elements.
just to go to the Lord and offer up some thanksgiving. For this doesn't merit anything for our salvation. All it does is remind us of what he has done on our behalf. So when we take the bread and we eat it, we realize that it costs Jesus something to secure our salvation. His body was used and abused. His blood was poured out on our behalf. Why? Because our favorite verse, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. The son came to take our place. And as we read there in John chapter 5, whoever hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life I don't know who is listening to my message or here in this room if you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior you can see the def desperate position you are in you don't know how long life will last and I don't Say that to scare you because what I shared already should be enough to scare you. What I, I share that with you is so you say that doesn't have to be the conclusion of the statement about your life. It's a simple process of saying, Lord, I see where I stand before you. I don't want that. I, I'll take the provision that you made in, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I believe that he came to save me and I put all my hope and trust in him. Amen. And just, and I say as simply as that, you can move from death to life. That's what he says. If he hears my word, believe him who sent me has eternal life. So let's take a moment quietly, privately before the Lord to offer up thanksgiving. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, in the quietness of your heart, you can trust him for your salvation even at this moment and be saved. Heavenly Father, we have seen how dark is the sin that grips our soul and how we are estranged from you, our creator, apart from the work of Jesus Christ being applied to our lives through faith. We think of our family members and friends who are operating in this world apart from this truth. They don't see their life accurately. But we thank you for this accurate picture so that we can respond properly by faith and put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. As we come to share these elements now, we do it with 
profound thanksgiving and gratefulness that you would love us enough to sacrifice your son on our behalf. Knowing that judgment was what we deserved, you gave us grace and mercy and eternal life. So Heavenly Father, as we come to the table, we come to honor your son and do it in remembrance of the cost that it took to secure our salvation, the willingness of your son to step into this equation and redeem us. And Heavenly Father, we offer up our thanksgiving for such a wondrous salvation. We give thanks in the name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And ask the men if you would come, please. We're going to pass in a moment first the plate with the broken uh, matzah, broken unleavened bread, representing Jesus Christ's body, which was broken for us. Then we'll follow it up with passing the trays with the grape juice. We'd ask that after each thing that you would hold on to it and we'll all give signal and partake together. As we said, this has nothing to do with our salvation in the sense that it doesn't make us more spiritual by participating in it. What it does is gives us an opportunity to express our thankfulness, our delight, our joy in our Savior. And while the circumstances of this provision of salvation were horrendous, costing Jesus Christ's life. It was driven by a desire from our Father and through His Son to provide this for us out of love. If you desire to participate and you're a follower of Christ, you need not be a member of our congregation to do so. This is the Lord's Supper. And so we'd invite you to partake. Yes, Mike, if you lead us in prayer for the first element. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. Oh, how those words of thank you just, just don't even seem like enough to, to portray everything you have done for us and, and how thankful we truly are for that huge, immense price that you paid for us, that you but what you did for us and that we can call on you and, and be saved. Lord, we, we give you the words of thank you, but we also give you our, our life, that you would use our lives for your glory, that we would die to self more every day, and that you would just do a greater work in us and make us more holy, help us to just shine your light again, to this dark world that needs to see you so much. So use us for your glory.
for you are so worthy, and we, we thank you, Father. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. to the first element broken bread representing Jesus Christ's body broken on our behalf let's take and eat it in remembrance of him Second cup, second element is the cup. We ask Tom to lead us in prayer. Our precious and heavenly Father, we do truly thank you for all that you have done for us. That you paid it all. That we can come into your presence. That you provided the salvation for our lives. Let our lives so shine in this dark world that they see you and not see us, Father. That you are doing the work in us and through us and to touch their lives. We thank you for all that you did for us and have done for us and for the shedding of the blood that we can come into your presence. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. Amen. tells us and visually demonstrates over and over that an innocent was to die for the guilty. That was sacrificial lambs up until John pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And we drink to that new covenant in his blood, one of life and forgiveness. I'm going to ask the men to bring the plates around and, and collect the cups, if you would. 